Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yes, you're listening to the Football Attic Podcast, edition number 28. Uh, Chris Oakley here, and uh, how wonderful it is to be with you once again. Uh, you join us uh, in part five now of our mini-series that they're calling the 50 Greatest Football Shirts Ever, uh, a series that's been running on the footballattic.com. Well, I say it's been running for a while. It's actually finished now, technically speaking, as we're recording this, but, um, but we're still giving you the benefit of our uh, knowledge and our opinions just to flesh out that series uh, that was focusing on the 50 greatest football shirts, in our opinion. Um, I'm once again joined by my Football Attic co-blogger, Rich Johnson. Hello, Rich. Good day, sir. How are you? Fine, thanks. Absolutely fine, barring one or two technical issues, but it wouldn't be the same without a few of those. Um, yeah, and just, uh, just been a few of those today. Uh, just a few, yes. Some, some, uh, some, some of them caused by Windows 10. It's a great operating system, but don't expect <laughs> anything to work on it. Windows 10 plus Google Hangouts on Air. It's a winning combination, folks. Um, and, uh, well, once again, as with a couple of podcasts back, we're not joined by uh, Jay from designfootball.com, sadly. Uh, but uh, we have a man who uh, can more than make up for his absence with his sheer knowledge and expertise uh, on the subject of football kit design. That's John Devlin from uh, truecoloursfootballkits.com. Hello, John. Hello, Chris. Hello, Rich. Hello. And uh, between the three of us, we will bring you another rundown of uh, kits from our football, uh, 50 greatest football kits. Well, let me say that again, 50 greatest football shirts ever. I knew I was going to trip up on that, kits and shirts. Um, and uh, well, whereas before we've been covering them in batches of 10, we are now sort of fragmenting a bit. Uh, we're going to today bring you the shirts that appeared between positions 12 and 6 in our uh, rundown, and uh, that leaves us to just do the top five on our next podcast. Uh, for the time being, let's uh, start with number 12 in the countdown, and uh, in this case, it's uh, a shirt that belongs to Boca Juniors. It was their 1981 home shirt uh, created by Adidas. It was a shirt nominated by yourself, John. Uh, uh, perhaps you'd uh, give us a brief outline of how it looks and uh, basically why you like it. Well, it's one of those shirts that I think was in our consciousness at some degree way back in the early 80s, and I think they wore it for a few years at that point, but it's only really in recent years I've, I've really clocked how good a shirt it is. Um, of course, made famous by Maradona, who signed for the club in 81, so it was, it was you know accompanying him all the way through that early part of his career then. Um, it's just one of those shirts again that's so good because of its difference. It's difference to the difference to what what we're used to in the UK, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's a blue shirt, Adidas three stripe trim on the sleeves, nice little wrap over, kind of wrap over crew neck. Um, but the the big key feature is the big horizontal chest band, the yellow chest band that runs across it. But there's so many different elements of this shirt that makes it so good. I think the, the main thing is, well, it, this chest band, you, you, I think most of us have an aesthetic idea of how deep we think the chest band should be on a shirt. You know, you're looking at West Ham, you're looking at other clubs, but this seems really deep, and it just seems a little bit deeper than it, it really should be, but somehow that's what makes it work. It's a cuffless shirt, so it's got a very different cut and feel to most other shirts of that era. Um, maybe it's to do with the heat again. Maybe, the, you know, not having cuffs on a shirt makes it for a, makes them more comfortable and more lighter in the, in the, the hotter temperature. I don't know. But the Adidas logo is slightly different. It hasn't got the Adidas word mark underneath. It's just a really lovely 
lovelyly constructed, put together shirt. And again, it's I think it is that difference. It's the colour scheme. We don't often see that in UK football either. Mm. There's just so many different elements of it that make it really interesting. I mean, even the placement of the uh, the Adidas logo and the and the Boca Juniors kind of crest is very very low down, almost touching the um, the horizontal band there. It's just mm. got so many nice little tweaks about it, and it's uh, and I think it's those little touches that can make a real difference between a, a great shirt and a mediocre shirt. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's deceptively sort of simple, isn't it? And yet um, there's enough interest in there that you want, uh, you know, covering some of those points as you just did, John. You sort of suddenly realise there is more to it. Um, Rich, your your views. I mean, you must uh, obviously have become aware of this shirt at some point once you got into football kit design. It's it. I mean, we're trying to avoid <laughs> podcast in and podcast out. We're trying to avoid the use of the word iconic, but to some extent it just is unfortunately but it's but it's kind of good with it isn't it yeah and that, and that that's the thing I and mean, we've said this several times we've tried to avoid shirts that are iconic purely and you know, i.e. ones that are just iconic but when you look at the design there's not much to that and you could argue with this one there isn't a huge amount to it but there's just something about it which just looks i don't know it is a beautiful shirt and I think one of those things, I think for me again, and I think possibly this might be a generational thing, I think it's one of those shirts, like John said, with the depth of the chest band, it's one of those ones that when you're growing up, it looks so foreign. You know, it looks so, <laughs> I'm trying to use words that aren't patronised, but it, it's like when you're, when you're a child in the 80s, in, or, or the, the 60s in your cases, uh, <laughs> you have to get it in there. Um <laughs> It's, it's one of those ones where because you don't have the, the, the internet and you don't have access to all these things, so you just see fleeting glimpses of them. So, like, occasionally Shoot magazine would cover, you know, kind of Maradona or something, or, like, when Ian Rush went to Juventus and things like that. And it's you get these flashes of these kits, and they just look so alien. So it's, mm-hmm. it kind of adds to the mystique. Um, and I, I kind of almost feel sorry for people these days in that they've got such wide access to everything because there's... It's like for me, like when you know when you used to watch uh, European matches, even in the kind of early nineties, you know it was so it was great to see all these all these different clubs with their with their strange color combinations and and different designs of shirt. Whereas we see them soon even before they've come out nowadays. So it's it's just mm. I don't know. I think I think part of the mystique of this shirt is is that kind of alien quality to it. The fact that we just you know, it looked like nothing we had over here. Um, but I mean, in terms of the, the aesthetic itself, like John said, it's just so well balanced. You've got the gorgeous sort of the deep chest band on it, and then you've got your logo and and everything. It just it just fits together so nicely. And then topping it off is a nice little detail at the top with the wrap over neck. It's just it could have been a crew neck, but the fact that it's a little wrap over neck and a very subtle one, it's just I, I'd love it, and I'd love the color combination as well. It looks great. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, uh, Rich, about it being f- the foreign nature of it, and I think a lot of that does come from the cut, from the silhouette of the shirt. And, I, and again, we don't see that anymore. But you look at these these continental shirts and the South American shirts back then, and the whole way they fitted on the players was so different to what we were used to at the time as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to throw in by way of a comparison, if we're talking about sort of a chest band, I was going to throw in uh, Middlesbrough as a comparison because um, as Probably many of us know. Certainly, in the in the mid to late seventies, they started uh, using this white chest band on their red shirts, which I think I remember somebody saying was uh, uh, brought about by Jack Charlton when he was there as a manager. I think um, I'm sure somebody recently said to me that yeah, that was his idea. That. <clears throat> yeah, and um, and it was um, 
it's a it's a shirt that I absolutely love that uh, that that whole thing. And I and I, if it was up to me, Middlesbrough would always have a white chest band on their shirt. I just think it's, it just works so well. Um, but just kind of comparing the two, I mean, I remember Middlesbrough had uh, an Adidas. Uh, kit, I think, in the early 80s when, when Adidas kits were starting to come around in, in the UK with the you know, silky material and all that. Um, but I don't think they ever had one with a white band across the middle. And I mean, I'm just trying to think of how deep the, the white band was on the Middlesbrough shirt of the mid 70s. I don't think it was quite as deep as that. And what was nice in their case was that they had their little lion sort of crest, uh, their little lion logo um, in the middle of their stripe, which was a nice sort of touch. And so, kind of comparing the two, you know, the Boca Juniors shirt, the badge is above the band. Middlesbrough had theirs actually on the band. Little things like that, but it's it, both of them work in their own way. But this is this is nice, and, and it's a key um, thing here, talking about the colour scheme, because um, just for those of you who aren't aware, we have now completed the the 50 greatest football shirts countdown on our blog posts on thefootballattic.com, uh, as I mentioned earlier on. And as a result, having finished it a few days ago. Um, we've had quite a lot of feedback and a lot of people have latched onto it around the world in places as far afield as Norway and Germany and Russia and all sorts. It's incredible. But the one um, criticism we're getting, if you can call it that, from those far off places is people sort of saying, oh, it's very UK centric. Well, yeah, that's because we're from the UK. That's where, unfortunately, our, our sort of field of, of uh, knowledge is firmly focused. And as a result, as we've kind of already said in not so many words, there aren't many teams, if any, in the Football League and Premier League in the UK that have a colour scheme of blue with yellow sort of trim or yellow incidental colour, accent colour, whatever you want to call it. So this is always going to look exotic. It is, a, a, to us, a foreign kit, and it is the sort of thing that would only crop up occasionally in shoot or world soccer or Saint and Greavesy or something, I don't know, uh, back in the day. And, and all of that just combines you know, design plus exotic nature call it what you will it just it just all adds up to a very nice shirt as a matter of fact that's my view anyway um we've had actually a bit of jane, feedback jane on. what do you think oh, i think it's nice as well <laughs> yeah i'm sure he would have said that if he were here we're just channeling him through a ouija board we're just trying to kind of get get his spirit in the room um i like the pretty colors <laughs> <laughs> what about the face lose <laughs> I was, oh man, you got there before me. I was about to say that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to had to get it in. Um, as I, as I believe of... Nicki Minaj once said, "It's all about the bracelet." <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say I had to get one in. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I really hope that was Nicki Minaj. Or else that's really showing up my <laughs> my age and cultural ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a, a few comments here. Um, the uh, ever ever present uh, James Taylor. <laughs> Our friend on Facebook, whose whose name will crop up quite often in this podcast, I think, uh, he's uh, he's been very kind to give us his views on each of the shirts as they uh, have been published on our countdown. On this one, he said, uh, "Now we're talking." He said, "Iconic and flawless." I'd argue with John's point about South American temperatures. The Argentine season historically runs through the calendar year, the middle of which is winter in the southern hemisphere. Just to clarify. Um, Boca have never been sponsored by Coca-Cola, although Diego later did get his own personal Coke deal. Ha 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 ha. Um, so just a sort of technical point there. Um, so oh, that's um, interesting to hear that. Yeah, about the weather. I mean, that was just. I, mean, that was, I think I said that's just always my theory that you know why would why would you know why did the, the shirt kind of construction change? And but um, no, interesting to hear that. Yes, indeed, and uh, we thank you, James, for that and and all your comments. More of which to come. Um, but. Um, 
as it is, we're going to move on now to shirt number 11, and it's one that uh, I nominated, I think you may have even nominated as well, John. It's the Wales Home Shirt, 1976 to 1979, uh, made by Admiral Classic Tramlines Territory. We're in now, um, and uh, the article for this on thefootballatic.com was written by Simon Shakeshaft, who's uh, more commonly known as Shakey, a Wales football shirt uh, expert and indeed a, a Wales super fan, you might call him if you like. Um, and uh, well, perhaps uh, John, you could um, sort of give us your views on this as well, because it's another classic design. It is. It's, a, it's an absolute corker. Cool I mean, I mean, there's, and there's nobody better qualified to write about this than than Shakey. Not only is he the, the Welsh kind of football kit expert, he's a, a great match worn shirt expert as well. There's not much he doesn't know. I mean, this shirt is. I was looking at it again just now and think. I don't want to annoy Rich here, but in terms of the tramline Admiral shirt, I think this is the best, the best incarnation of it. Um, bright red, tramline down either side, central badge, but the real difference is that is the colours. Having the yellow and green there as well just really lifts it above the uh, above the ordinary. And also, of course, having the Admiral logo on each lapel, which I think is a is it lapels on the collars? I think it is, which is a really nice a really nice touch, and and again balances the shirt so well. But it's those colours, it's the colours that really win it for me. And I think for, not just for Welsh fans, I think most football kit fans do acknowledge that this is a real a real corker. There's not, um, I don't think there's much debate about how good this shirt is. And again, it's just another example of, of Admiral's magnificence in this in this period of time. So, yeah, thoroughly deserve its place. Maybe could have gone a bit higher, actually, in our countdown. But it's, a, yeah, a gorgeous shirt, absolutely gorgeous. Well, we'll blame uh, Joe for that. As soon as he's not here, we can blame all sorts of things on him, given he's uh, absent, I'm sure. But, um, okay, then, Richard, you can, you can uh, make the case, for, or maybe not, for why uh, maybe the Coventry shirt doesn't quite match it. I mean, the colours still work very nicely with the Coventry one, but it, 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 to sum it up in one word, this one's vibrant, isn't it, really? <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I bloody loves this shirt, I do. Teddy. <laughs> um, do, do, do it in a Welsh accent, Rich. Come on. <laughs> uh, shut up. <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Sod you all. No, I, I, I do, do like this. When I first saw it, I thought, there's lovely. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, and, and I, I, I actually do agree with John's argument about the, the tramline kit. And uh, I think, like you say, the fact that it's got the two colours, the yellow and green on it against the red, it's such a contrast. You know, it's like, I mean, red and yellow go together. Red and green... Uh, don't always go together but red, yellow and green that's like one crazy combination there Uh, but it just works and I I think it's because it's such a bold design as well you know, if you're going to mix yellow, green and red together uh, then you might as well do it in in an entirely bold way because if you don't then you just look like you're trying to make something hideous Uh, so you might as well get it out there Um, I mean the funny thing is, in terms of the colours, uh, I was because th- I was thinking with the cov one. I was thinking, well, I suppose the thing is, the cov one's only really got sort of two colours on it, but actually it has the same amount because it's got sky blue, navy, and white. But like John said, this just works. I mean, the, the yellow and green is just insane to my eyes, but it, <laughs> it, it looks so nice. And also, I think wasn't this available as an Airtex one? Well, thanks to Simon Shakeshaft, we we know that to be true, don't we? Yeah, so, so there you go, you see. You can get air techs, then that's a winner with me. <laughs> More holes, the better. I didn't know you were an air techs fan as well, Rich. I thought I think you said it last week, didn't you, actually? That's right. Hey, yeah. I'm a massive air techs fan. That's the whole... 
that's what my whole <laughs> stick's about, man. That is like, I am the Airtex king, yeah? <laughs> it's the perforations that let the air flood out. Um, <laughs> oh as God. I think Tetley once said on... The 70s yeah. reference. Oh, yes, one, thank you. One for the teenagers, you say. <laughs> Another one that Jay would be sort of shaking his head at going, what? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the um, thing is, when I was growing up, this... I, I just sort of saw this shirt everywhere because, I mean, in the late 70s when I was kind of becoming aware of football and the world around me generally, um, of course, we still had the, the home international tournament, the, you know, the England v Scotland games and Wales and Northern Ireland as well, of course. And um, so this kit just seemed to be everywhere. And I just took it for granted that Wales play in red, yellow and green. That's I didn't even think twice about that. It wasn't until... The next kit deal came along in 1980 when Adidas took over and they reverted to just red and white. And mm. I suddenly thought, oh, that looks a bit sort of plain. I mean, it looked lovely. I have to say, and we're going to come on to that in a moment because we've um, had comments about that. Um, but I suddenly realised, I thought, maybe that red, yellow and green was sort of like a, dare I say, it, a bit of a gimmick on Admiral's part. Maybe they kind of engineered it in some way to, to, to look even more vibrant than it would have ordinarily done so. And it wasn't until much later in my life and I started doing a lot more research on football kits that I realised that actually Wales have, to some extent, um, very often in their history played in red with yellow and green as, as uh, secondary colour. So um, it wasn't an admiral thing at all. But um, but what a way to use the colour palette. I mean, it was just superb. And, um, and the away kit, of course, which is based mainly on yellow rather than red, again, just shuffled the colours around. Look, oh, just sublime. Absolutely superb. Um... But um, yeah, and certainly one of my favourite kits. I, I, it just edges the Coventry kit to me because there's no, I don't know. There's few finer sights than seeing Coventry in the in their pale blue version of this template. But the but the red, yellow, and green just works exceptionally well. Um, just going back to the feedback that we've had, um, Andy Rockall, who we've heard from before and we'll hear from uh, many more times as well on this podcast, a bit like James Taylor. Uh, he very kindly sent us a comment, said uh, the second greatest Welsh shirt, only bettered by its replacement, in my view. So it takes us back to the Ad, uh, Adidas one that I was just mentioning a moment ago. Um, and rather amusingly, Vic Staines then replied and said, a Spurs fan's favourite Welsh shirt is affectionately known as the Arsenal shirt. Uh, yes, yeah, so I thought that was uh, quite a nice little observation as well. Well done, Vic. Um, just uh, putting Andy straight there on his uh, on his selection. And also uh, Russell Todd uh, via Twitter said, uh, personally, I'd have it higher in the countdown, that is. He says, but I'm biased. Absolutely sumptuous. Uh, can't think of a better way of describing it than that. Yes. Um, any, any last... Sorry, go on, John. Sorry, yeah, I was just, just going to say, as I'm butting in there, I mean, we talked before about how Admiral created these shirts that could be instantly recognisable, and we saw that with the West Ham one and the Aberdeen shirt, I think, last week. It's another example, isn't it? You could see that at a glance, miles away, and you'd know it was a Welsh shirt, which is something you don't always get these days. You know, it's... um. It's creating that unique, really bespoke, unique combination, which Admiral was so good at. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, good that you mentioned that, actually, because um, there's been a, one or two manufacturers of, of Welsh kits in, in more recent times that have gone down that kind of route of bringing back the yellow and um, not sure about the green. I'm just trying to think, but I remember they had a kit, didn't they, a few years back, which was like a yellow, <clears throat> a single yellow band going down one side of the shirt. It did have green on it. I own that one. It's, it's a lovely shirt. It is yeah. nice, isn't it? Yeah. It's Umbro one, wasn't it? Is that right, Umbro? Yeah, I was, was, yeah. was going to yeah. guess Umbro, yeah, yeah. So there I we are. It was their last one before they got ditched. Mm. <laughs> shame, shame. Um, well, 
that takes us on to uh, our number 10 shirt. We are into the top 10, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we're staying with the home international theme because uh, number 10 was the England 1980-1983 home shirt, again by Admiral, um, more commonly known as their uh, Spain 82 kit, um, an absolute classic, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, it's just a, a, a really well-known kit and, and one of the sort of, I don't know, most fondly remembered um, amongst all the England kits of the past. Um, we've discussed it at length on previous podcasts and probably don't need to go down this route any further. I will just um, do the um, the spiel on this one just briefly. I, mean, I was the one who nominated this shirt and uh, I was very pleased that it got to number 10. Um, in some ways, without sounding a bit... Um, kind of, I don't know, up myself really, frankly, um, I thought it might go a bit higher because when we did our greatest England home kit ever feature on the footballattic.com some years ago, um, it got to number one and um, I've even done stuff uh, on a previous blog site of mine some years ago, a similar thing, and that it got number one on that as well. So clearly a well-loved kit, but we could only muster number 10 in our countdown. Um I say we've talked about its virtues or otherwise in the past. The, the the main sort of point that I made in my blog post is that um, where its strength lies, I think, is that it its design looks very much of its era. And if you're talking about the qualities of football shirt designs, yes, we can talk about whether it's whether it looks traditional. We can talk about whether it's um, got interesting features or whether it's its main kind of strength is in the fact that it's so simple or whatever. One one um, criteria I think that is often overlooked is that if a if a football shirt design um, kind of has in some way reflects the era that it comes from, I think that's a great virtue to have. It's like if you you know that in the early 90s when a lot of shirts were coming out and they looked really garish like the you know the the, the Hull Tigers striped shirt and stuff like that. You know all these kind of very complicated designs you know when you look at those it's the ni early 1990s that you can just tell that's the era it's from pinstripes early 80s and so on the thing that I've said in my blog post is that the styling on this kit is very sort of neat slightly understated I mean you've got sort of big blocks of sort of blue and red at the top of the shirt but other than that not a, not a hell of a lot of other detail really it's a relatively simple design and to me, it was—it's um, got elements of the sort of styling that you'd have found in sort of casual clothes, men's clothes at the time. Very sort of uh, early 80s, very much the territory of, you know, CNA and Marks and Spencers and stuff like that. And if you were to thumb through a catalogue from that kind of era, you would see, you know, smart sweaters with just a simple sort of stripe along the sleeves and nothing too fancy. All the 70s kind of. Um, you know, garishness and, and strange designs, that was all shelved because this was the 1980s, let's just take it down a little notch or two and, and go for smart casual and I just think that this design just reeks of early 80s it, it tells you that's the era it comes from and, and in many ways that's an overlooked uh, aspect to its design um, <coughs> much more than that, so we've discussed it all in the past, we know that Rich hates it we know that I'm, I, I love it um, uh, John, you're not so fond. Is that right? Have I got that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just actually making some notes of points to raise why I'm not fond <laughs> of it <laughs> as we're talking. It's really weird. I mean, I'd, funny enough, similarly on True Colours, we did a, a poll then some years yeah. ago, and again, this came out top. So it's, it's without doubt 
you know, it is the favourite England shirt of most England supporters. It's okay, but I don't, I don't quite get the love. I have to say, I don't understand the love for it so much. I think it, I'm guessing it comes from a period of fondness where maybe uh, it's a fond time for England fans. And you know, even as a devout Scotland supporter, I seem to remember it being quite a poor time for England on the on the pitch. Um, certainly, they didn't shine in in Spain, and uh, you, you know, they really under underachieved in that era. Um, <clears throat> I think the one thing that puzzles me now looking back on it and we look about national identity and I find international shirts fascinating because of how they interact with the flag, the colours of the flag and you know, and what should the, what should the national sh shirt represent. And of course this shirt just screams of a Union Jack to me. Mm. Which of course it shouldn't really, should it? It's it's you know I know I know the England shirt is the England kit is traditionally white and navy, and I, you know you know and, and again that goes against the England flag colours. Of course it does, but I think shoehorning or, or forcing this royal blue in there as well, and giving that Union Jack feel to the chest and, and shoulders, it's a puzzle. I don't understand it. I think it's it gives out a confused message about um, UK, Britain, England, everything else so and that's one one issue I have with it looking back I also remember at the time that the replicas looked very cheap I remember seeing loads of kids <laughs> wearing them you know, when I was about 10 or 11 and um, there were well, supplements you have yeah well it always had I, I think it had a because it was sublimated it had that kind of all-in-one print feel rather than a, a felt badge or a sewn-on badge and that always gave it an odd it always stuck in my head as something different back then but you I mean I, I do take your point, Chris. You make a very good point that it sums up that era well, and I suspect that's its strength. That's why so many people love it because it reminds them of that period and um, of of the the stars who were around at the time. You know, albeit arguably underperforming on the pitch for England, but um, mm. it's an interesting one. I'm, and actually, yeah. I have got a very. Um, I had a visit up to Admiral last year up in um, Manchester, and they gave me a very nice Admiral bag decked out in exactly the same design as their English shirt, so yeah. I have that on my wall at work, but there you go. Excellent. I, I, just before I come to you, Rich, I think partly also the reason why there's so much fondness for it is because back then when the kit was launched in 1980, the whole kit, um, it looked so much more modern because of the, by, just by virtue of the fact that we'd had the, the England had had the previous kit design for six years, since 1974, and it was looking frankly so dated even by late 70s standards mm. I think when it came along it was like my god at last we've got a modern looking kit for the 1980s and and uh, it just looked so so fresh and and kind of and new and I think that's what it was and yes everybody sort of says oh yeah well you know, we we had a quite a good sort of campaign as such in in the 82 world cup without actually kind of you know getting into the semi-finals but um but you are right, though, John. I mean, when um, Ron Greenwood took over from um, Don Revy, there was a lot of uncertainty at the time of like people sort of saying, "Does he know which players he wants to pick? Does he? Has he? You know, he doesn't seem to have settled on a squad. And are we actually going to do any good in the um, like in the European Championships of 1980 and then the World Cup of 82? So it wasn't necessarily all kind of you know wine and roses at the time. But I think it was just the fact that we'd had the last kit for so long and it was looking so old-fashioned that this one just. I think everyone suddenly went, "Wow, that's that's much more like it. That's what we need." So that's just that's another it. point through. Well, no, it's a very valid point, and I think you may have hit the nail on the head. You may have kind of discovered the secret reason why everyone loves it. I think there's possibly that um, subconscious memory of that relief when that new kit finally came, and it was so different from the one before with the mm. the, the um, stripes and the sleeves. So you, you may be right. And it, 
I think that that could be the answer. But interestingly, as well, in that '82 World Cup, if I remember correctly, there was some controversy. I think the Admiral logo was missing from most of the shirts. I think mm. there was some discrepancy about whether they could have manufacturer's brand on there. So a lot of the shirts you see from that that tournament, I think, had just the England badge on, no no Admiral logo. So they they lost some valuable um, exposure there as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, I heard something similar. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and of course, oh, sorry, sorry, one thing I've just mentioned as well, thinking about it, of course, 1980 was when things went pear-shaped for Admiral, and I think this was one of the only kits at that time when they, they had their um, bankruptcy issue, I think, uh, that, that, that was still going about, was the, was yeah. the England shirt. They kind of recovered with Leicester a few years later, a couple of years later. Yeah. But at this point, you know, Ad Admiral were dead in the water in the UK market, apart from this England shirt. Mm. Yeah, again, a uh, very valid point. Yeah, I, I love that Leicester shirt, by the way. Just thought I'd say that before we <laughs> carry on. Um, Rich, uh, since we last discussed this, um, have you thought of any other reasons why you absolutely detest this design? Um, well, where should I say? Oh, hang on. Sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I'll ask him. Uh, Chris, it's the Oxford English Dictionary asking when the word understated completely changed its definition. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, there's I've no never pin stripes or shadow stripes. I've stuff, never heard the word understated applied to that abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I mean. You know that uh, La Jolla Lorca one, the one with the broccoli? That's quite understated as well, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, no, absolutely nothing has changed to make me love this shirt. Things have made me detest it more. Uh, and actually, one thing, actually, John, you're another reason that I detest this shirt even more. Why? <laughs> <That is> because... <laughs> well, that's because your illustration makes it look better than it actually was. Because <laughs> it, oh, it robs. <laughs> Because there's one thing, the one thing I really despise about the shirt, apart from the, well, actually, the whole thing's a bag of crap, but the one thing <laughs> I really didn't like about it was the, ironically, it's one of the things that probably marked it out at the time of being very modern, but which very quickly dated it, and I think I've mentioned it before, and that was the incredibly deep neck on it. Because um, yeah. it, it wasn't just a V-neck like you had on, say, like Liverpool's 85-86 shirt, which was a standard, or like most standard V-neck. It was one of those ones that was really deep. So, like, I think the actual stitching line between the two, where the two halves met was about three inches long or something ridiculous. Um, and that, it was part of the reason I hated originally Argentina's shirts in the 1990 World Cup because they had exactly the same sort of real plunging neckline. And it's ju just so... It just dates it so much. And, yeah, I think the fact... Like John said, the fact that everything was sublimated on the replicas just made it look so cheap whenever you saw one around. Um, I have nothing more to add. Um, you'll be glad to know. <laughs> yeah. um, what, see, what I meant was, right, let's, let's say you're standing in front of an England shirt on a coat hanger, right? So what you do is you hold your hand over the coloured bits at the top of the shirt, and then the rest of it's understated. That's kind of what I meant beyond the coloured yeah, well, block. I suppose, I suppose, like you say, using that, using that logic, you know, again, with the La Jolla look at Barocoli shirt, if you hold a big bin bag in front of the whole shirt... <laughs> Then it's quite understated. It's just black. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing is, my fact, analogy. If it's anything garish, if you it's like a Picasso painting, if you hold your hand over the bit with the with the eyes on the side of the face, that's just a normal face, isn't it? Are you, are you now targeting me because Jay's not here? Is that what this is all about? 
<laughs> well, I suppose it's when you when you make statements as ludicrous as something Jay would say. <laughs> I, I ever wish you'd chosen the wrong word. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, what I was, I was about to say, you were saying about that the um, you know the, the replicas and everything. I had one as I've mentioned on a previous podcast, and um, and I asked my mum if I could um, if she could get me a a number to stitch onto the back. Uh, none of this iron-on kind of malarkey like you get nowadays. And, um, yeah, I think I wanted number 10 because Trevor Brooking was my favourite player and um, she came back with a number 5. Um, but I thought, OK, that's fine. Yeah, I'm like you know, 8, 9 years old. I'm not that fussy. I'll, that'll do for me. Having a number on the back is, is going to add a, a lot to the shirt. But the thing was, where it was like so heavily stitched by my mum, bless her, on the back, it kind of felt wrong somehow. You sort, of, you sort of felt like I should have just got a red felt tip pen and drawn it on the back because it kind of went along with the sublimated badge and the blah 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 and everything else. But it, it sort of felt quite heavy on my back. It was this thick, heavy kind of material that the, the number five had been done. But it was a it was a pucker number five in the same styling in, uh, as the font that was used in the World Cup. Strangely enough, but uh, who, was, who was number five for England at that time? Was it was it Dave um, Watts? It would have been either Dave Watson or someone like, I don't know, Mick Mills or someone. I can't remember now. Um, certainly in the World Cup, I can't remember who it was. But um, I always used to think of Dave Watson. You know, like when you used to go over the park and play football, and you'd sort of, there were certain teams you knew the lineup of, and you'd sort of, you'd, like, I, I think I knew the West Ham team around about that time. Uh, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Parks, Ray Stewart, uh, Frank Lampard, Billy Bonds, Alvin Martin. I will go on. Anyway, so so some of those things just stick in your mind, and I think I knew the England team at the time. And Dave Watson was always who I had at number five in my in my in my head. That's where I'm going with that one. Um, anyway, as you can appreciate, we had a huge amount of feedback about that because it is um, a, one of those shirts that everybody knows and uh, everybody seems to have an opinion on. So let's race through some of these comments. Uh, Andy Rockall once again via our website said, "Rich, surely this was your nomination. Uh, the the first England kit I owned." Possibly for that reason, it's still my favourite. Memories of Espana 82, the first World Cup I remember, and playing football all summer, whenever and where, wherever I could. Associated memories of grazed knees and the smell of germaline. And he also adds, only 10th? You know, you know, I tried my best. Sorry, Andy. That's, you know, what can you do? Um, James Wellham via uh, Twitter then uh, said, how did Rich let this one be as high as number 10? Uh, the theme continues with Mark Knight via Facebook, who says, only number 10 away one must be top three then. Mm, no, I can tell you it wasn't, Mark, sorry. Um, although the, the away shirt, the red one, was very nice as well, I have to say. Um, Al Gordon via Facebook said, great shout, that. And uh, James Taylor once again said, and here we he sort of chimes with what we were saying a moment ago, nasty cheap material, superfluous shoulder stripes, wrong colour blue, horrible numbers, need I go on? Uh, in this kit's defence, England won all three group games wearing it at Spain 82, the first and so far only time that's ever happened at a World Cup. And uh, the final comment goes to Ian Frost via Facebook. Hello, Ian. He says the red away was pretty cool too. And as I just said, it uh, certainly was... Um, Looked very nice that one. So, uh, any last comments before we move on, fellas? Any, any saving? <laughs> well, the only thing that's no. puzzled me is I, I always seem to remember England having a really bad World Cup in '82. I have to, I seem to have a fake memory there. Yes, we well, started no, yeah, we... off well and then and then fell away in the second round. 
Yes, the the um, when uh, Sean Connery was doing his uh, commentary for the official World Cup film that year, he used the thing. He said um, England's goal tally in the first three games was like a Cape Canaveral countdown: three, two, one, zero. Um, <laughs> the zero being in the second round match, I think, again against West Germany. So uh, that tells you all you need to know, really. Like big start, twenty-seven seconds, goal against France, and then it all went slowly downhill after that. Uh, anyway. We must move on now to shirt number nine in our countdown, and uh, this is a special one, really. Uh, it's got special significance to it. It's one that was nominated by Rich, and it's the Africa Unity shirt that's uh, 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 for 2010-2011, a third shirt designed by Puma, but not worn just by one team, but potentially many. Uh, Rich uh, will now, I'm sure, take up the story and tell us a bit about uh, what that shirt's about and why you like it. Well, the, the the concept behind it was obviously at the time um, Puma supplied an awful lot of the African nations, um, and they came up with this concept of having a a unified third shirt, so that basically this was a third shirt that could be worn by any of the African teams. Mm. Um, and I think the original idea was that it would be worn, <coughs> excuse me, at the 2010 World Cup. Uh, sadly, no one ever did wear it at the 2010 World Cup. And up until I was writing this article, I thought no one had ever worn it at all. But actually, it turns out I think that I think a couple of countries wore it um, in about I think it was worn about twice, both in sort of I think one might have been a friendly, one might have been a qualifier, but it, it was hardly used. Um, but the idea behind the design of it was that the sky blue uh, represented the African sky, and the the sort of brown. Um, the base of the shirt, which is a kind of if the sky blue fades into a brown effect, um, and that was to represent the African soil. Now the, it's been quite funny because there's been quite a few comments sort of deriding the shirt, and and some deriding the ideas behind it. Um, yeah. I think I think someone I can't remember who. I don't know if you've got it in the comments there, Chris, but someone said uh, I think it might be James Taylor actually. He said that it it was kind of offensive in the sense that it it seemed to be like a, a like a white colonialist impression of what Africa was all about so it's like oh what does a white man think when they think of Africa oh the sky and the soil you know but the actual soil tone itself the color that came up with was actually a mixture of different soils taken from the actual countries so hmm. you know it's, it's and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know I'm pretty sure they actually taught the African nations when designing this I'm pretty sure hmm. they didn't just rock you know, a white man in a, in a sort of hot white suit and a Panama hat walking in, going, "Oh no, you boys, this is what we've come up for you. You've got to wear this, good boys." You know, I'm pretty oh, sure they man. did it with collaboration. You know, um, the man from Del Monte, you mean, Rich? I think. <laughs> same, yeah, <laughs> Del Monte. He says, "Yes, you're going to wear this." <laughs> he says, "Yeah." <laughs> uh, and the actual, I mean, obviously we only concentrate on the shirts, but the whole, uh, the brown continued down onto the shorts and the socks. So one obviously worn as a complete outfit, it was much more balanced, because on the shirt, most of it is sky blue. Um, there was also an Africa Unity badge on it, um, and any replicas that you bought, if you bought a replica, you got a full set of badges or crests for all the countries that could wear it, so you could apply whichever you wanted. Um, and on top of that, uh, I own a version of this that came in a like a, a wooden crate, um, which when you opened it roared like a lion. <laughs> You'll buy bloody anything you will, won't you? <laughs> I, I, yes, I will, Chris. I do. Yeah, not that England lady too, shall though. Well, it's an interesting. One. I, I, I must admit, at the time, I was vaguely aware of this, but I did. I certainly didn't know that it was. You know, I, I, I think. 
My memory is that when it came out at the time that I thought that this was going to be the automatic change strip, second strip for all African teams that Puma had their thing for, and obviously I clearly misunderstood that at the time. And then you know people were still talking about it, so I'm thinking, well, it must be, it, it, it's going to be used in some capacity. And yet I never really, I don't recall seeing it anywhere in particular, certainly not at the World Cup in 2010. So I've always, it's always had a bit of a mystery kind of element about it to me, but. There's no denying, I absolutely love the two colours. In fact, we love the colours because of Football Attic also uses uh, sky blue and brown as a colour scheme. But um, I digress. Um, but just the way that the sky blue fades down into into the brown, it's a distinctive pair of colours that you don't get everywhere. Some would say for good reason, but I disagree. Um, and the yellow, I think the yellow badges were supposed to reflect the African sun. Is that right? So that, I think that was the other little bit of... I believe so, yeah. Now, I know it sounds all very pretentious and all very kind of modern era mm. marketing spiel and all that, but um, why not? Why not go with an idea like that and actually kind of, instead of just saying, oh, we're going to make a red shirt and then we're going to have white shorts with it, actually kind of put some thought into it. Uh, I, I'm not sure who that comment was from, uh, Rich, that you said earlier on. It might have been James Taylor, but apologies if it wasn't. Uh, yeah, somebody basically inferred that it was sort of forced upon all these African countries and designed by someone, some white guy, probably in Europe or London or somewhere, who had no idea about um, these, all these influences, the colour of the African sky and all that. But as I think we've discussed off-air in the past, fellas, um, you know, Puma actually um, went to a lot of trouble designing some very distinctive kits for those African countries, aside from this particular African Unity one. And I, for one, don't feel that this is just thrown together as some kind of load of cobblers you know that's supposed to pull the wool over people's eyes i think there was a lot of great thought and it's and i and, and that's why i like it as much as anything else and my only um sort of regret is that it wasn't worn more often because i'd love to have seen it at the world cup worn by someone or other but um but there it is um john yeah i mean i totally agree with, with both of you and i think um rich your write-up on the site is absolutely sums it up perfectly from a purely aesthetic point of view, everything else sort of disregarding for the moment, pure aesthetics, it looks brilliant. It really does. It's it's such a, a unique um, look and feel, the blend of the colours. It, it works so well. But the strength of it for me is the concept. I mean, the concept of the design is, is great, how that's come about. You know, real thought gone into it. And also, we, we, we see so many supposedly conceptual shirts around these days that are nothing more than templates that they've attached some kind of phony or insignificance commemoration to or try to shoehorn a, a, you know, some degree of influence or inspiration to it. This is a genuine concept that, that genuinely runs through it. And for that reason, it's, it's what makes it so great. Also, the fact that the concept, the concept of how it's actually going to be used as well, or what it stands for, what it tries to do with the African continent. And, you know, it's a massive sort of, massive gesture really and it shows again that how much more a football shirt can be than just something that's worn on the pitch which again Chris touches on what you said that it was such a shame that it wasn't worn more on the pitch because then it you know it could be perceived as a gimmick when it, I don't think it was I think it's it's a really strong idea and I think I don't know why it reminds me a little bit of um, there was a story years ago I've never found any any evidence to uh, to kind of back this up but I remember there was some there was a period of football violence in Italy in the early 90s or late 80s, early 90s, and a couple of supporters were killed in some riots in a game. And the next match, all the Italian sides all took to the pitch wearing each other's shirts and they swapped oh, yeah. all the shirts before the kickoff. Yeah, I vaguely recollect that, yeah. 
it was a massively powerful gesture. I mean, imagine these teams coming out wearing each other's shirts. <laughs> Wonderful. And of course, I think with the Af- this African shirt, the fact that there's that unity there, trying to you know trying to it highlight this unity. Yes. Conceptually wise, it's it's so strong. It really is, and it's um, mm. very very powerful powerful shirt. Why there's so much hatred for it on online? I, I can't. I don't understand it. I don't understand yeah. why more people <clears throat> applaud this for what it is. I found the the comment that I, I was referring to, and it was James Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite a long comment. Uh, it <laughs> says, putting aside the design discussion for a moment, my main issue with this shirt regarded the whole idea of Africa unity, which seemed to have been thought of by a marketing team that had never set foot in Africa or bothered to learn anything about its diverse culture. Why else would the shirt, uh, the shirt representing this vast continent be defined so simplistically by a non-African's concept of its two most universal characteristics, sun and dirt? In an attempt to promote Africa and its football, all Pumas succeeded in doing is to perpetuate the very stereotypes they supposedly sought to overcome. This attitude was further reinforced by British commentators during the 2010 tournament with their naive and patronising suggestions that during the knockout stages, all of Africa would be supported Ghana, a notion which, uh, when applied to other continents, is utterly laughable. Only it's some good points there, but I don't know. I think that's a bit harsh, personally. Yeah, yeah James. He speaks a lot of sense a lot of the time, I must admit, but I think he's a little bit off the, off the game on this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I'm, I, I guess he, he explains it very intelligently why he doesn't like it. I don't, I don't think I agree, and I don't think it's right, and I'd, I'd like to see evidence of who did design it to see if that was the case. I don't think, as Chris said, I don't think it was. I mean, we, we, we both talked about the, the Puma African exhibition of kits in, at the Design Museum yeah. some years ago. So yes. it's quite clear these aren't these are these are put together. My understanding, from what I read at that exhibition, the African Puma kits—they're so proud of the work they do for the African nations. They are put together with full collaboration with the countries and the cultures. They're not just flung together by some bloke in in Holland or, or Germany or wherever. There, hmm. There's a real integration there of what's going on. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I've always thought with the Puma African kits is that there's always something in them where it looks like they've put a bit of thought into it you know as soon as right. someone like uh, adidas takes over one of those nations you just they start getting boring kits right. whereas all the puma ones and what I, what I used to like about them is the fact that they would always give them the same template but you know tailor it yeah. to each nation Something specific yeah i mean you can look at that from both sides because you could look at that. I was thinking, oh well, that's patronising because they're giving all the African nations, they're lumping all of Africa together, Africa together, and giving them one sort of kit and then just tailoring it for each nation. But then the flip side of that is, well, that's actually good because it's it's promoting the concept of the, a unified continent. But at the same time, you know, they are individual nations, and obviously, yeah, we know that not all of those nations get on, but it's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, I I think. Uh, they actually, from from what I saw from that exhibition at the Design Museum in London a, a while ago, is that Puma put a hell of a lot of effort into trying to understand the identity of the African countries, and they try and use the sim- symbolism of specific countries to give them something on their own kits that makes it specific for them, and not just some rolled-out template. Um, I mean, interestingly, one point I was going to make about the sort of technicality of the, if you like, of the of the design is that it's got that kind of cutaway uh, diagonal slant on one shoulder which was uh, very prevalent on Puma kits at the time but this is very tastefully done just used as a sort of um, okay I'll use that word again understated <laughs> zing um, this was done as a sort of shadow 
section, if you like. It wasn't a contrasting colour on the shoulder. It was just um, the shade uh, was just taken down a notch on the shoulder, this diagonal cutaway. And, and I think that's a lovely little sort of way of just sort of saying, this is one of our designs, but you know, it's got a specific meaning to it. And I, I just think Puma do put a lot more effort, or did put a lot more effort into those kits uh, than uh, perhaps he's given credit for. That's my Certainly. opinion. And I think, as, as James mentioned about this idea of a simplistic view of it, but I think there is a theory, there's one element of design theory that says, you know, you distill all the influences and everything down until it's core, until you get to the core elements. So there is this idea of taking all the influence and sort of pairing it back again and again and again until you get to the strength of what you're trying to do. And that's what this shirt does. It, it brings it right down. You couldn't put everything on, so they... they simplify it down as much as possible and of course Rich you made a good point and maybe some of the beauty of it is lost by not seeing the full kit because it, it, the full kit in its glory is it's magnificent you know seeing yeah, how it yeah. works all together with, with the brown and the blue so it's um, I still think it's a massively important shirt and dare I say it, it should have had more exposure and more um, press at the time than it did. I mean, it's maybe it's just us football kit nerds that found out about it. I don't know, but it sh should have been should have been massive, really. I mean, I think one of the points that I made, I think the last point I made in my article was that the, the sad irony of it is that, of course, it was designed to be used at the first ever World Cup in Africa, so it was a perfect yeah. time oh, of to course, have this yeah. kind of this concept of if you're going to have this concept of African unity to roll it out. And of course, the first ever World Cup in Africa, and it was never seen anywhere. None of them wore it at all. Which actually, to be fair, maybe actually backs up James's point. Maybe the whole idea of African unity, you know, from that point of view, was actually a bit misguided. And maybe the African yeah. nations themselves. It'd be interesting to see what the African nations themselves made of it, and actually see if they liked the idea, or actually, as James said, whether they kind of felt a bit patronised by it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I sort of think James puts forward a, a very well constructed argument, and you know, as I say, I don't agree with it personally, but I'd be interested to know, to know more if he if he knows anything more about this, you know, share it. Yeah. But no, get in touch, James. Yes, <coughs> indeed. Um, amongst the other comments we've had as well on that, uh, Rob Blockland on uh, Facebook said, "How on earth did this shirt reach number nine? I could name dozens of better looking shirts. Oh well, it's all about taste, I guess." Uh, got it in one, Rob. <laughs> Sorry about that, and it just happens to be our taste in this one. Um, and uh, Gareth Davis on Twitter said, this shirt is incredible, made even better by the fact you could iron on your own crests. Uh, Ian Boyle on Twitter said, absolutely hideous, and Carl on Twitter said, that's vile. So uh, just go to show it's a very divisive design, but um, as, uh, I'm not sure which of the two of you said it earlier on, perhaps it's just because uh, people weren't aware of some of the, um, you know, the concept ideas behind it, and which I think just adds, adds a bit of extra value to the shirt as far as its design is concerned. So there we are. Anyway... We move on to something uh, uh, somewhat more well-known from a UK perspective, at least, and that's our shirt at number eight, uh, the uh, Newcastle United 1995-1997 home shirt by Adidas. It was uh, nominated by uh, myself and yourself, uh, uh, John. Um, for those who don't know, I'll, I'll attempt to do a bit of spiel on this one. Um, basically, black and white stripes, as you'd expect from Newcastle United. Um, but the key feature, really, I would say, is... The, uh, the granddad collar, uh, very distinctive, very rarely seen before that, um, in white, uh, the black, uh, uh, three black uh, Adidas stripes going down the sleeves, but you only really see them on the kind of lower part of the arm, 
uh, right, they don't go all the way up to the top of the neck, so that was very tastefully done. Uh, I think I think I'm right in saying for the first time the oval Newcastle Brown Ale uh, sponsors logo in the middle of the uh, shirt as well. And um, all in all, I just thought it was just a lovely, really nicely styled shirt. They got the the width of the stripes correct. Um, which is uh, something that we'll probably come on to, and we've mentioned it before, really, in relation to Argentina. Um, and um, I just remember seeing it when Alan Shearer was was signed for Newcastle for all that money that uh, they bought him for. I can't remember what the exact fee was back then, but I remember him t- turning up on the uh, on the balcony. I don't know if it was outside, something like Newcastle Town Hall or Civic Civic Centre or something like that, wherever it was, and being sort of presented to the crowd, and he was wearing that shirt, and, and I just thought. He's going to look good in that shirt. In fact, I think probably all the players are going to look good in that shirt. And um, it's just always been one of my favourites ever since. Some a shirt that I'm very fond of. Um, uh, just, but the collar does it for me. Uh, like I said, just purely just because of the fact that you know you very rarely see it anywhere else. Um, certainly before, and, and only now we're starting to see it a little more often. I think there's been a few shirts come out in the last year or so that um, are using that style of collar. But anyway. I digress. Um, John, you also nominated this, so tell me why you like it. I think, well, there's yeah, two aspects of it, really. One is that it's a very workmanlike, functional shirt, very solid, unremarkable in some ways, but in some ways that sort of gives it its strength. I think Newcastle shirts since then have been incredibly fussy. I don't think anybody's captured the stripes as well as Newcastle did with this shirt. In fact, mm. since then, I think Newcastle stripes, they've never been consistent, especially on the sleeves. They've always been messed about by extra panelling and, 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 and stuff like that. And I think Adidas uh, struggled with stripes, ironically. I think I think we've mentioned before. Mm. And um, it's a real shame that they never bettered this, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I don't, I don't know if Puma are getting there either. But... But when you look back at it, I remember when it came out at the time, this and the Away Kit, which is another favourite of mine that didn't make the list, they're both mm. just brilliant, brilliant shirts. Um, the yes. Grandad collar is, is perfect for the design. You know, quite often the collar doesn't look like it matches the rest of the shirt in some in some kits, but this one, it suits it so, so well. I think there's lots of little elements that make it good. As you say, the three-stripe trim just on the sleeves, the beautiful granddad collar there, even the fact that the Adidas who were at the time still, I don't know where they were at in terms of their branding, they hadn't quite switched over to the the, the new branding I don't think, so they'd gone from Adidas equipment and the, the old Trefoil logo was sort of, you know, really used for retro stuff, so they've just got a text word mark only logo, which again seems to suit the kit so well, it seems like all the elements were considered and, 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 and suit the theme, the feel that they were trying to get across with this shirt. Also, of course, with the away shirt, the Newcastle Brown logo, I think the, I think the home shirt has the, the label at the front of the shirt and the reverse and the reverse label appears on the, the away shirt. I think it was something like that with just the, the star. There was some kind of connection, but again, they work so well as a set of kits. And um, it, it's just Oh, it's just pure Newcastle United this shirt. It really yeah. is, and that's you know, there's not many kids that can really pull that off. Um, so for me, it's it's definitely their best best ever kit, and uh, yeah, a real real classic in my view. Absolutely. Um, one little point I'll just also throw in that um, actually somebody mentioned this in relation to a different shirt on. Um, I think it was Twitter the other day, a message I saw, and it pertains to this shirt very well as well. The the, um, the numbers on the back gave it an extra bit of interest as well because they were like they were white numbers but they had like black edging around the outside and a very kind of 
that kind of blocky style with the diagonal cutaway corners and um, that as well as the and, and the same sort of font was used for the for the name the, the letters across the top of the back of the shirt um, if you actually interest on the back if you if you ever see any of those Newcastle games from that time and you see players from from the back uh, the numbering and the lettering just looks fantastic as well a really well chosen font but um, anyway that's just extra information to throw into the equation uh, what do you reckon then rich on this one I think this is just one of those shirts because I think I nominated it as well. I think this is one of those ones yeah. that quite um, all. I don't. I'm not sure if Jay did, but I know that the, the three of us did. But it's just one of those shirts you look at and you just, as soon as you see it, you just think, yes, that's mm. it. That's exactly what yeah. they should be wearing. And it, it's, it's mm. and you don't even immediately realise why, but you just see it and you think, that's it. That's that's perfect. You know. And and the one thing I love about it is it was clearly obviously with the granddad colour, it was clearly going for a retro feel, and that. Funnily enough, it, it kind of fitted in perfectly with sort of uh, late 90s shirts or mid to late 90s shirts being baggier than what had gone before and, and one, what came after. So it was at the exact perfect time when shirts were generally a larger fit, which again kind of brought back that retro look to it. Mm. Um, but it just, and, and obviously it's got the white stripe in the middle, which I'm always going to be happy with. It's just <laughs> something about mixing it up in that way that, that really appeals to me. And I think some other people made the comment about the Adidas stripes um, on the shoulder um, replacing one of the black stripes. So, and as John said, you know, rather than make it fussy, you know, rather than have a stripe and then put the stripes inside it, they just use the stripes as an actual stripe itself. Um, yeah, it's, cool. it's just the funny thing is that the one thing that kind of almost jars, but I don't think you really notice it too much, is where the Adidas logo is. Obviously, because they've it crosses the stripe where they've had to put the black background on it. And mm. it just, mm, it's, it's, but it, 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 it's a testament to the rest of the shirt that something like that, which normally would people would really pick up on, it just you don't even notice it really, and it just it mm. just looks amazing. And I think even the the Nuki Brown logo on it just, I don't know, it just adds to it because it's, uh, and a lot of people say that shirt sponsors you know uh, ruin shirts and stuff, but I think again this adds to it. It's just it's yes. almost like. That's the perfect sponsor to go with this shirt. It fits it's perfectly like on the shirt. It's like they peeled the label off the bottle and just <laughs> yeah. popped on the shirt. Perfect, but isn't it? it? And again, because it's obviously because it's Nuki Brown Ale, it goes perfectly with that. And it's just like everything about this shirt is just the perfect combination of things for Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And and, and I think, like John said, that I think other than the one that uh, that succeeded it, the the ninety seven to ninety eight one, which I wasn't a great fan of at first. But I've since come to light. I think ever since then they've really struggled with the stripes, and I know it's hard to come up year after year. And we've made this point many times that with a one-year kit cycle, it's really difficult to come up with something original. But I, I haven't really liked a single Newcastle kit sort of since this era, and it's not just because it's so iconic, but just because people just the designs, especially Adidas in their later years, they were messing around so much with you know adding unnecessary sort of like cut-ins at the side and cutting up the stripes and stuff and it just doesn't work you just uh, to me striped shirts work perfectly when they are allowed to be striped shirts and I mean all over as well preferably you know without stupid shield on the back or something um, and actually ironically I, I don't think it was this season but I think it might have been the season after when Sunderland had their ASICS kit which was very very similar in style and again I think that had a central white stripe and it was almost aping the Newcastle shirt, but again, worked really well. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny, I, mean, I think you're quite right in terms of the, the Stripe usage, but the, the real thing that you've emphasised there, Rich, is the idea of the um, the logo, the sponsor being totally appropriate. And of course, we saw that a lot in the 80s, and we don't see it so much now. We, we're seeing Far East betting companies kind of you know dominating a lot of the teams. Mm -hmm. And there is a detachment. And, and even the application of the logos is so poor. The fact that they're obviously just plonked on, or they're, they're like an advert rather than a logo, which is just pointless you might as well not bother putting anything on there with this instance it's perfectly integrated into the Newcastle culture it's probably the, it's the ideal sponsor as it should be a local firm supporting their local team that all the supporters the local community can really get behind it's something we don't see a lot of and it you know I understand why but I still feel it's a shame um, Although having said that, when Newcastle played in Europe, I think, they were played in a couple of countries, I think it was Norway, I can't remember now, or France, and they weren't allowed to wear spon uh, alcohol sponsorship on their shirts, and they also wore this with a Centre Parks logo on. Oh, um, yes, yeah. Who owned Centre Parks are the same Scottish Newcastle yeah, Brewery, or whoever it was. It's Whitbread, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same same company. So there is a version yeah. with the Centre Parks logo, which is quite is quite kind of debunks that theory slightly but maybe I don't know maybe not but no I think it's that integration between sponsor and shirt that, that really helps this as well hmm. yeah um, sort of a few points really there I'm trying to remember some of them as I was sort of listening to you both speaking one of them about that you're saying Rich about the the retro nature of the uh, of the granddad colloquials not really kind of retro with regards to previous shirt designs because I don't think even going back to the 20s and 30s there were shirts with a granddad collar but it was the granddad collar that was um, worn a lot on regular shirts back at that period in time back in the and I think isn't it right the story goes that the granddad collar was designed because you know, men were going down to work in coal mines and stuff like that, and the big collars, uh, the big winged collars, were sort of sticking in their necks and getting caught up on things. So, somebody sort of what they would typically do is rip the the collar off and leave behind this little sort of stump of a collar, and that's kind of, I think, how the uh, the granddad collar came about. And that you can also tie in with the fact that it's you know Newcastle and there were you know coal mines there and stuff like that. So it's all part of the heritage, really, of 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 that it's a little sort of nod in the direction of the working man and this being the working man's kind of chosen sport you might say um, and of course the most the most workmanlike kit color combination is white and black you know the white yes. shirt black trousers so it's it, it's kind of fitting isn't it yeah absolutely it's a bit like we mentioned about the pinstripes on the last kit you know and the fact that it's sort of that's something that you would see on a on a suit a smart suit and yet that was sort of put onto a regular football shirt and so it's sort of taking elements from everyday well not everyday work uh, uh, everyday um, clothing and stuff but it's that sort of thing and um, yeah I, I just think it, it, it works brilliantly um, and I was also going to mention the A6 kit as well from I think just before that 90 was it 93 I think they had and I thought that was a tremendous Newcastle yeah. shirt as well that they had at the time nice simple really nicely executed shirt um, and um, and yeah, there's no, there's also also the logo. That's the other thing I was going to mention, the the Newcastle Brown logo, because the one before that was a just a blue star, and I don't know somehow it just I don't think it could have quite worked. Just that the 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 oval shaped logo in this case just adds a nice splash of colour, actually a little bit of sort of yellow and orange and uh, bits and pieces in there that in in the actual logo. So. Yeah, it's just nice, very nice indeed. Um, and I was really reassured when when this appeared at number eight. I thought maybe there would be a lot more 
in the way of negative comment from people saying, oh my god, what's what's that doing in the top ten? But actually it was very gratifying and reassuring to see uh, so many great comments about it. So that was good. I'll read out some of the comments now actually. Um, Andrew Bartlett via the website said, totally agree. I love this shirt and would have made it number one. Uh, you didn't mention the material that seemed to have a nicer and more substantial feel than the other shirts from the same era. Uh, however, wouldn't you say some Umbro shirts from 87-ish, such as England and Man City away, featured granddad-type collars? Yeah, I mean, kind of. Kind they of. More, they were more no, cycling. Cycling jerseys, yeah. weren't they, I think? I think I actually replied to that yeah. at the time and said, no, they didn't. Because a granddad collar is a very specific type of collar. And the mm. ones we saw in the sort of late 80s shirts, like the England one, were were not granddad collars because they didn't have yeah. the button on the collar. It was lower down, and it was, yeah, it's just not the same. Sorry. <laughs> no, I can see where you're coming from there, Andrew, but, um, yeah, um, not quite the same in our view. But, um, but anyway, thanks for your comment on that. Uh, Andy Rocker once again says, Beauty personified, Adidas's best striped shirt ever. Replacing a black stripe on the sleeve with the three stripes was genius. Nowadays, they'd cram the stripes onto a contrasting coloured stripe. Uh, thank you, Andy. Gavin Haig via Facebook said, Best shirt ever, in my biased opinion. Andrew Rutherford via Facebook said, uh, Come on, Gavin Haig, what, you, what about your Buckter specials you used to wear home and away? I actually quite like the Buckter uh, Newcastle kits, actually, from, from back in the 70s. But um, anyway... Uh, uh, Ian Frost on Facebook also said, I worked in a sports shop in Ipswich at that time. We couldn't get enough of them, he said, uh, <laughs> which is uh, reassuring to know that they were selling well. And uh, James Taylor once again says, funny, this reminds me of Ferdinand and Ginola, but not at all of Shearer. Well, you know, either or, whichever you want to use that for that uh, for that analogy. But um, it was a great team they obviously had at the time and a great shirt too. So at this point, we move on to number seven in our countdown, and this time we come to the France 1984-1986 home shirt by Adidas, uh, nominated by me, but I suspect uh, probably any number of the rest of us as well on the uh, judging panel. Um, a classic shirt, barely needs me to describe it really, but it's basically blue with a, a red stripe across the, the, the sort of breast line, you might say, and then three thinner white horizontal stripes below it. Um, the thing is frankly a, a thing of beauty so just a lovely lovely design um, a classic really um, and as was mentioned in my article that I did I mean it's, it, it became so well loved I think by the French people I'm guessing that that's what caused it to be reinvented and recreated um, uh, rebooted you might say in different forms on several other France kits that have happened since then even though Jay if he were here would probably disagree with that point uh, that's my view, and I'm sticking to it. Um, but um, it's got a it's got a small winged collar, V-neck, the three white Adidas stripes going down the sleeve. That's about it, really. The the Adidas logo without the the wording below it sits nicely on the red stripe. I mean, just I, I think I said it in my article, really. Yes, you can kind of muck around with stripes and stuff, but you, I think up to that point, really, you you would typically get a shirt which is either completely striped or it might have one stripe but to have two different widths of stripe and one of them in one color the others in another color if you're still following me it's just some very simple component parts of that shirt but just laid out on the design in in a lovely pleasing way it just it just worked and it looked very modern at the time I seem to remember thinking it's just it was just one of those kind of 
game-changing shirts, you might say. Uh, anyway, who would like to uh, chip in with comments on that one out of the two of you? Um, I'll, I'll dive in. I think it's... um. Yeah, I really, it's not my not my favourite French shirt, and I think it's certainly the last great shirt Adidas did for France, I would suggest. But no, you're right, it's a very good, solid design with just the right amount of flair, which is kind of what you expect from these French national shirts. We've got a few of them in our, in our countdown. I think you make the point as well about having the red featured so prominently. Obviously, they always used it on their, um, you know, cleverly integrating into the, the Adidas three stripes, but to have it quite on in... In the, in your face on the front of the shirt was a, was a bold move. Um, I like I like the little details on it again. I like the way I like the way the French badge sits on the red stripe. I like the way the Adidas logo, it just the the you know no word mark again here, is outlined in blue. Just a mm. little, little touches that are really nice. And I think you mentioned on your write up about it not being implemented throughout other other clubs or countries' kits. And you interestingly pointed out, of course, that Ipswich had something very, very similar, whereby the red stripe was sort of pulled and stretched, made higher to accommodate the um, uh, sponsor logo. So again, it's a, it's an interesting way how the kit then developed into something else. But again, it's it's just it's just got that slightly continental feel about it as well. There's no cuffs on there, and of course, that didn't come into England until possibly a year or so later. So it would have looked a little bit different. And mm. um, you know, it's no, there's no doubt that Adidas in the 80s were really were at their at their peak of their powers. I think. So yeah, yeah firing, firing all cylinders they were. Yes, uh, there were a few sort of other slightly similar designs that had sort of differing width stripes like that but um but that was the the, the key one and as you quite rightly say john yeah the ipswich one the red stripe was a bit deeper uh, to accommodate the pioneer logo and um, um i'm not sure the ipswich have ever had much red on their kit before that point um but that's probably a different discussion altogether no uh, I'd, uh, they hadn't no they hadn't that was the first time yeah that's right yeah. and and just to sort of tie up the thing you mentioned just a moment ago that yeah with france shirts they would often have a little bit of red around the collar, even going back to the early 70s when uh, Le Coq Sportif were doing their kit. But um, but a big red feature on the shirt just um, was a lovely splash of colour. Nicely done, I thought. Uh, Rich, your views on this one? Um, I like this. It's it's not my favourite French shirt ever. Um, and I think because it was a couple of years before my time, it's I, I didn't really get the impact of it. By by my my time, I mean when I was into football. I don't mean that before I was born. <laughs> um, in case you thought I was making another ageist comment, yeah, he's so touchy. Um, not like you. I uh, know. Oh, I, I never say anything like that. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I like it. I like the design. For me, I can't help. But um, I can't disassociate the later incarnations and the way that. Adidas hoard it out, um, so yeah. it's kind of been solid by that to me. I think, especially, ironically, especially from France '98, I, I understand why they did that, but to me, it just kind of it cheapens the whole thing. It's like you know they won the '84 champ, uh, European Championships wearing this, so it, it has that kind of you know ingrained iconic status already. And then the fact that they, I don't know, it's weird, because I think for most people, the fact they did it again in 98 kind of cements it, whereas for me it takes away from it, because it's kind mm. of, they weren't, they were doing it in a copy of something, and it's like, and then the fact that they've tried to use that design over and over again, and I can say this because, like you said, Jay's not here to contradict it, because they used it in every single design ever since 98. 
you are. Uh, that's a fair generalization, I think. Not that I strictly think, correct, yeah. but uh, yeah, we'll go with that. It, no, it is, it's entirely accurate. Um, so <laughs> I, I just think the whole thing gets cheapened, and, and I can't disassociate this shirt from its its successors. So. I, I like it, and I think as a design in itself, it is great, but I, it's not one of my favourites, I'm afraid. I don't think I did vote for this one. <laughs> At this point, I think I'll just go back and check the voting. How did it get to number seven, I wonder? But uh, anyway... Um, oh, well, so... I, think, I, didn't, I don't think I voted for it to be in the top 50. As a, well, if you've read my latest post on the uh, on the site, you'll see the incredibly complicated voting system we use. So, yes. <laughs> Yes, I that's, think this uh, was Rich, basically... round, round one of voting as opposed to round 54. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, Rich has uh, just uh, published an article on thefootwetic.com only today which he t- uh, mentioned some of the uh, shirts that he very nearly managed to get into the top 50 and some of those that he was never in any doubt uh, was ever going to suggest and, and well worth reading, well worth seeking out on the website there. Um, we've had a few comments on this one. Uh, Andy Rockall again says, Ooh la la, c'est magnifique. Uh, frequently copied, he says, never bettered. Uh, Mark Knight on Facebook uh, says, uh, good call, forgot about that one. Uh, Russell Osborne said, three so far, French national shirts. Adidas France have obviously got someone working well over there. No, just we just like the French shirts. We're not we're not, <laughs> we're not being sponsored by you know the French Football Federation or anything like that. We just happen to like the shirts. Um, and uh, James Taylor, just uh, closing here, was just saying, uh, probably the rarest and definitely the most expensive shirt I own. Uh, I can well imagine, yes, yeah, I'm sure it must be well sought after on places like eBay and what have you, online stores. Um, a lovely, lovely design and worn by a tremendous team too back in the day. And so we finally come to the last shirt on this podcast, and it's our number six. It's the Juventus 1985 home shirt by Kappa. Uh, one of uh, only a few uh, Kappa shirts, I think, in our countdown. It may even be the only one, actually, off the top of my head. I can't remember now. Um, and it was nominated by yourself, Rich, a, a real classic, and one I remember, I just, for some reason, I always think of world soccer uh, when I think of this shirt, because you used to see it being worn by the likes of Michel Platini and people like that. So um, tell us what you like about this one. Well, firstly, I'd just like to be the J amongst us again and just correct you on the pronunciation. It is, it is obviously Juventus. Oh, <laughs> it's sorry. Said by, said by Big Ron, you know. <laughs> yes. When, when he used to be on telly, what happened to Big Ron? He's just not around these days. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, and I, 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 the point I made earlier about the Boca Juniors one applies very much here, and I think this was where the article I actually wrote about it, is the fact that this is one of those shirts that looks so foreign, um, mm-hmm. and especially at the time. Um, it's Again, in, in terms of stripes, it was rare for us to have uh, thin stripes over here. I think Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United had some in the late 80s, um, which nobody liked. Umbro um, stuff. But, yeah, but uh, I think for, for it... it, it the Juventus shirt with incredibly thin stripes, but not thin enough to be like pinstripes or kind of like really thin ones like the Denmark 86 style. These were just kind of thinner versions of the of, of normal stripes. And they had an incredibly deep neckline on it. Um, and it's just, and again, like I've said before, it just looked so foreign. And it 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 gave you that great feeling of, ooh, you know, other countries play football and, and this is what they wear and everything's so strange and exotic and and it was just, I suppose it's part of that childhood magic thing, isn't it? It's just kind of, you look at it and, and think, well, 
you know the world's a much bigger place than than I know and and a similar, I suppose, like the the Barcelona, like the Maybach shirts at the time. It's, again, all of these shirts just look so strange and unique, and obviously that's going to play a part. But I think this is actually is, is it's a great looking shirt as well. Apart from that, um, and obviously apart from the fact it's got Ariston on the front, which is just a great sponsor. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, the other point I made is that it, again, seeing manufacturers like Kappa, which we just didn't really have over here, and you had like Diodora and and NR or the which you have the NR as the logo, you know, it's just just added to the mystique. Um, and and as you said, seeing it on the likes of Platini and uh, Loudrop and that, it just it just added to it. And and you you rarely got to see these, so when you did see them, it just had a massive impact. But I just think of all Juve shirts, I, I probably because of the shirt, I, I much prefer it when they play in thinner stripes. I just think it looks uh, it, it looks. To me, like they own that sort of shirt in the same way that Newcastle's uh, shirt that we talked about looked perfectly Newcastle. This to me is Juventus. Uh, mm. It doesn't matter what you may do. This is a Juventus shirt and could be nothing else. John, over to you on this one. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I look at it and you think it's actually remarkably ordinary. In mm. some respects, that's what makes it so good. It's it's. I totally agree with Rich about the the. the um, the thinner stripes, that's that's a real key element of this shirt. But one thing that I haven't captured on the illustration is the way that it fitted, the the the, um, the cut of it, the silhouette of it. We talked about it earlier in this podcast, but the way that it fitted on the players, it looks so strange. It, you know, wh- why was it so different? I don't know, but it, it just had a different feel to it. I think the key thing as well with this one, and I'm trying to cast my mind back to the mid-'80s, is the, is the collars. I know we looked at the French shirt recently as well, recently, just a few minutes ago, with a collar on it as, at, at, at the same time. But in the UK, we were all about V-necks. There was not a, you know, I don't think there was a single shirt, arguably, that had a collar on in this period. So the question is, these shirts look so different, they look so foreign, were they horrendously out of date? Or were they, in fact, two or three years ahead of their time? Yeah, it's flat in the middle, and it's a really difficult one to call, but I think that's the key thing, because I remember at the time, and even now I look at this, and it looks kind of old-fashioned. It looks like Juventus, <laughs> poor old Juventus, they're still playing in a load of kits from the, the mid-70s. Yeah. But that's the, char- that's the charm of it. Somehow, that really yeah. works. It, looks, it didn't, doesn't look modern at all. It, it looks different, and it looks old-fashioned, but somehow, somehow it hangs together beautifully. And as I say, you look at it now and you think, okay, was, was again, were the continent three, three years ahead of us? Were they, ex, you know, exploring the um, the retro revival of the late 80s in the midway through the decade? I don't know. But I think that's well, what the uh, the difference is. We had the, someone actually made that comment on as a, a comment on the, the article and said actually, and said that exact thing, that basically um, that they... They said, my very own memories of the Juve kits of the 80s, but they seemed very old-fashioned at the time. Oh, right. and the yeah. colors and material, uh, whereas, of course, in England, we had V-necks and polyester. And I actually replied and said, yeah, that's a really good point. I think at the time, I actually thought they looked very old-fashioned as well. But like we've, like you've just said, John, that's part of what made them different. And part of, them what made, part of what made them stick out in your mind is the fact that Again, it, it, like you, I think I'm at the, at the time. Oh, you know, oh, that's that's really weird. They're so behind the times, you know. But when you look <laughs> back on it, it just look it just looks great. 
And it's, yeah. there's almost an arrogance behind it because they're saying, well, you know, we don't care. We don't care for modern fashions. We can wear what we like. We're <laughs> wearing this. Yeah. I know that's not what happened, but it's fun to look back and think, what was going on at that point? Why did they think, do you know what? We're going to stick. We're going to go down this route, and that's what we're going to wear. Mm. Very sort of modern take on vintage era shirts in a way, <laughs> without sort yeah. of um, being too elaborate and trying too hard about it. It was just a nice sort of simple design. But... Um, yeah, um, I think um, somebody mentioned the point about the fact that the, the fabric seemed to sort of stretch and that V-neck collar did seem to go deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, almost a navel level, I think, in certain cases. But it, but it, it was that. And, and, and just going back, I was going to mention this earlier on, I think it was when we were talking about the England 82 shirt, and um, uh, one of you mentioned about the fact that it was, I think it was you, Rich, sort of said that it was just a simple V-neck collar. Um, one point I was going to make, I know this is a really random reference, but let's throw another one in from, from way back. Um, we all remember the show called The Goodies, don't we, that used to be on BBC back in the 70s. Well, in I think it was 1980, they switched to ITV, and they did their last series there. And um, I'm a bit of a fan of The Goodies. I don't know what it is. I, yeah. Anyway, um, the, but there's one episode they did when they were with ITV, and it was they... The, the episode took as its theme football hooliganism and they, in their usual way, sort of turned it on its head and got a lot of humour out of it. And there's a line of dialogue in the script where I think it's Tim Brooke Taylor says something like, oh, you know, English football, it's, it's gone to pot, it's, um, it's on its knees, um, you know, what with one thing or another, like, you know, uh, these continental collars, that haven't, you know, shirts that haven't got proper collars on or something. And I remember when I heard that recently, I sort of thought, was that, it sounds like that was actually a bit of a big deal in, in terms of sort of, you know, social culture at the time that people that followed football were seeing these changes in football kit design. And it, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I suppose if you go back to the 70s with the Admiral kits, they all had proper collars and all this. But Adidas, amongst many others, were bringing in this new style where they, you didn't have a flappy winged collar. It was just a cutaway collar. And that's, you know, so that was just something I was going to sort of throw in earlier on. I, you sort of mentioned something there along the way. We talked about the Juventus shirt. But um, anyway. But it's, it's it is, Chris. I mean, it highlights, again, that difference between um, huge waves of fashion, if you like, when they clash. And, there's, you know, the classic one that's always rolled out about Hungary and England playing. Yes, you know, always rolled out. But there's a, the, the the one bit that always cracks me up about that is that apparently they're just about to kick off, and a couple of the England players they say to each other, or when they walk out the tunnel, they say to each other when they're going to play Hungary. Hungary are coming out next to them, and of course they say we're going to be all right here, mate. Look at them; they haven't even got the right kit. Meaning, <laughs> you know, they've come up with all this sort of skimpy gear, and of course Hungary <laughs> go ahead and beat them. Yeah. And it's the same thing, isn't it? It's that clash of um, cultures, styles. almost culture, yeah. styles. When there's a when there's a change going about, and it takes, Absolutely. you know, we all remember when Spurs trotted out in the in the big baggy shorts. Everyone <laughs> was in Eric's, and I was thinking, no, they look fantastic, you know. But the change yeah. is so great that you, um, it, and maybe it's just us kit nerds that pick up on the signs that say, you know, what well, we're entering a new era now of kit design. I don't know, mm. I don't know. It's, no, it's a great example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't I can't now watch. You know, archive footage from the early '80s without going. Oh, yeah, they've got a cutaway collar as well. They're, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's just that that silly sort of line of dialogue from a sort of sitcom just sort of 
seems to resonate now. You sort of notice it all the more. But um, anyway, we've digressed a little bit away from the Juventus show, which is undeniably, undeniably excellent. Um, and uh, and as you said, Rich, the Ariston logo is just like, who the hell are they? And of course, within probably a year or two, they were starting to have adverts on TV over here, and uh, I say over here in the UK, I mean, um, and they became more of a household name with their white goods and such like. Um, but um, there it is. Um, our final couple of comments uh, for this particular podcast on that shirt. Uh, Russell Osborne once again says, uh, it's clear from the write-up so far in the countdown that there's an affection for overseas shirts from a different time, as been mentioned before about seeing teams occasionally on the telly, etc. Uh, I wonder for this reason, what does the regular Joe Bloggs from Germany or Italy remember as being a classic shirt from these shores? That's an interesting one. We probably sort of could spend another half an hour just looking into that, sort of turning things on its head a little bit. But uh, thank you, Russell, for that comment and all your others. And um, Hawaii the Lads on Twitter says, that's a beaut. And uh, he should know, being a Newcastle fan, so he knows all about the black and white stripes. But, um, yeah, thinner stripes and nicely nicely done too. Incidentally, no sort of Juventus badge on this shirt either. Just two gold stars, which I think probably signifies title wins or championships of some some type or other not quite sure about that one but I think that's what they're there for but um, again just less detail couple of gold stars Kappa logo very nice very nice indeed so anyway so there we go so that's the number six shirt and that uh, effectively brings to a close this particular podcast uh, as I've mentioned earlier on the next one will be the last I think in this series as we look at the top five in the countdown and we'll be looking at the uh, the infographic that we put on and highlighting some of the stats from that and we're going to be looking at perhaps uh, some of the shirts that um, didn't make it uh, and uh, other such details as well. But for the time being, it just leaves me to say uh, thank you very much indeed to my regular cohort, Rich, there. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure as always. Yes, excellent. And, uh, of course, it goes without saying a big thank you to uh, our special guest on this occasion, uh, and that's John Devlin. Thank you, John, for your comments and your time. No problem at all. I was going to say exactly what Rich just said. Uh, I don't know what else to say now, but no. (laughs) Just say it's goodbye from him. (laughs) When when we queue you up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, just also just goes to say thank you to everybody who's been uh, supporting the football, uh, the 50 greatest football shirts ever series and the podcast and everything else. We always, as we always say, we greatly appreciate it. So uh, thank you very much indeed. Do remember to keep visiting thefootballattic.com for more details. And uh, until next time, from the three of us, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from him. And, and, and it's goodbye from them, him, me, and it. When you buy an Ariston, its guarantee is five years long. Last well past 1991, Ariston, and on, and on, and on. One million French think that are bon. Half million Germans can't be wrong. From Italia to Britain, Ariston, and on, and on.